We are Centerpoint Church. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford, Sundays at 10 a.m. Enjoy the message. Thank you, Fraser and Amy, for just leading us so well in worship. And uh, it's, it's just great. It's great getting to know you all. As uh, Johnny said, I'm Chris Kimbangi, and I'm the new like, lead pastor here, lead elder. And uh, it's been just great getting to know many of you and uh, getting to know the teams well. Um, some of you will know that I'm coming to visit your, if you're in part of a connect group, at one of these small groups, um, that I'm going to come visit you because over these two weeks I'm doing like a listening tour, getting to know you all. And it's just great. I was with a group earlier this week and it's just so, so great just getting to know you. And uh, if you're not part of a, a group, then connect in because they're just an excellent way to, to get to know people in the church really well, to, to grow in your faith. And, uh, and you can do that. And so you can find out about that at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the meeting. And uh, I would encourage you again, like Johnny has, to come along on that Wednesday the 19th. You will be blessed and it will be good to be together as a church family. But this morning, we're going to be uh, speaking from Revelation chapter 5. And uh, last week, we, we started Revelation chapter 4. And uh, we were looking at why I love the church. Um, and this week, Revelation chapter 5. So you can sort of start to turn to it now. And um, this week's all about why I love the groom, which is Jesus. And um, if you don't have a Bible with you, then don't, don't panic because it will come up on the screen. Um, so just to let you know. But um, when, when we had a look at Revelation chapter 4, at the beginning, I needed to, to talk to you a little bit about biblical apocalyptic writing. And the reason why I needed to mention that is because the uh, book of Revelation is written in that style of writing. And so um, often people can read it and just be really confused or fearful, worried, because it's, it's hard to make sense. And so we talked about some key things that biblical apocalyptic writing is. And I won't go through all of it, but again, but I will just mention that when we read Revelation, we should be inspired and encouraged um, about all that, that God has for Jesus and his church. That's why I've chosen this book to look at these, this topic. And it's, so it's meant to be encouraging. It's meant to be symbolic. And uh, last week I, I, meant, I started talking about some symbols. And so I specifically mentioned some numbers. Uh, they came up quite a lot in our passage. So when we read things like the seven spirits of God, that, that really references the Holy Spirit in all its fullness. It's not that God somehow has seven spirits. It's just the Holy Spirit in all its fullness. When we talked about uh, or read about the uh, four corners of the earth, that is just all representing all earthly creation. Or when the four animals bow down and worship God, that's just all represents all earthly creation bowing down and worshipping God. Um, number seven will come up today, number four will come up today. Uh, 24, it's all God's people, BC and AD, and sometimes that's referenced just as elders. So in as we go into Revelation chapter 5, it might just say the elders bow down and worship. It's representing all of God's people BC and AD bowing down and worshipping and you might even get a lamb today with some horns and uh, again don't freak out it's just it's just representative of something which I'll come on to in a few minutes time and then also it's not just encouraging and symbolic it's also prophetic and prophecy isn't just about explaining what's going to happen in the future it also explains what's happened in the past and our present state our present situation so we will we will see as we 
see this vision that John has been given by Jesus that this also helps to explain our present situation and what's happened in the past. And right at the start of Revelation, the first chapter, in chapter 1, uh, we see that this book is, is written by a guy called John, who's one of Jesus' disciples. And uh, in fact, he was the only one that wasn't murdered for his faith. And he is writing down what Jesus is revealing to him through a vision. That's what chapter 4 and 5 is all about. That's really what the whole book of Revelation is about. And this whole vision is really about Jesus and his church. That's what it all relates to, uh, which is why I've called this, uh, why I love the bride and groom, is because the picture uh, throughout Revelation of Jesus and church is as a bride and groom. Uh, Revelation ends with this marriage ceremony. It's a glorious occasion as as Jesus returns again and and his church, all the people that have put their trust in him come together. And um, so, yeah, I've mentioned that. And... Most importantly, the, the, in verse 3 and 4, it tells us that as we read Revelation, it's meant to be for the blessing, for the blessing of that person that reads it and also for the blessing for the person that hears it. So I'm hoping that today you will be blessed and encouraged, uh, just as I know many of you were last week. And another reason why I'm really pleased to be speaking on this topic of why I love the groom today, and specifically you know, why I love Jesus, is because over the past few weeks, as I've moved to Guildford, I've been um, meeting new people. I've been encountering new people, and I've been having those typical, you know, those conversations you have. Oh, what do you do? What's your name? What are you up to? And um, in the past, I've found that when people say, oh, what do you do? And I say, I'm a church pastor that it kind of shuts down conversation. But amazingly, you know, I found like with the barbers, with my neighbours, with people that I've been interacting with over these last few weeks, that actually it's opened up conversation. Uh, Catherine's had the same at her workplace. She was, she was late home the other day, so I was like, come on. But she had a good excuse because one of her colleagues was asking her, well, what kind of Christian are you? You know, what, what is this church about that you go to? And uh, these, these conversations are really good. And when we get chatting about Christ- Christianity, what I found interesting is that people have all sorts of reasons why they're not a Christian. And for some reason, they feel like they need to tell me this. I don't know why. Um, and the kind of things that have come up are, are things like this. They've, they've been saying, well, you know what? I, I, don't, I don't go to church because, you know, I went to a church once and they just let me down. Um, or, like, there's some people there that are just a bit odd. Other people have said, oh, you know what, I'm not really into Christianity because I met a Christian once and they, were, they went to church on Sunday, but during the week they, were, they did all sorts of stuff which I, I didn't really see married up. I know other people that have said, well, you know, religion has caused a lot of war and, and abuse and hurt. I, I don't want to get involved in any of that. And so they, they don't want to go because of those reasons. I've met people that have all sorts of questions about suffering and, and God and how can you let things like, like suffering happen and how does that work there's also been people that look at their own failings and say you know what I'm just I I don't think I'm good enough they feel like they're going to be judged and say I don't think I could go to church I'm not ready that's that's often a word that people have used I'm not I don't think I'm ready to come to church yet because I I can't face up to what's going to happen and you know what there's all these different things and all these thoughts I think actually are good questions and good thoughts to be asking ourselves and you might have some of those thoughts here today you might have those questions. It might be your first time and you're thinking, oh, what have I come to? This church in a cinema, what's this about? And I think they're all good questions, but I want to encourage you this morning to kind of lay them aside because none of those questions are about Jesus. It's so easy to 
put off Christianity based on all sorts of things, based on people that, uh, people that are involved in Christianity or the church or other things. But what about Jesus? If Jesus is meant to represent God to us here on earth, then don't judge him and all those other factors, but look at him and ask yourself, is he someone I can put my trust in? So I'm letting you know that at the end of this talk, I'm going to give you an opportunity, if you haven't already, to put your trust in him, to give your life to Jesus. And that might be for the very first time, or it might be for a significant recommitment. It might be that you've just maybe been wandering astray, maybe you've just not been involved, or you just felt distant from him. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And I wanted to let you know now, so it's not sprung on you at the end. So you don't, so you don't need to panic, you can now just relax. Relax, take a deep breath, we'll go through it. I'll explain it all through as we go along. And uh, at the end of last week, the end of chapter four, we read that all the creation, all the animals, all the birds, and all of God's people that trust him, BC and AD, they bow down and they say, you are worthy, Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created to have their being. And you know what, this week we're going to see that it's not just God at the centre of the throne and the Holy Spirit, it's also Jesus right there. So, and the question that we're trying to answer, last week we answered, should I bother going to church? This week, the question we're trying to answer, is Jesus someone that I can trust? Is he someone that I should follow? So, also last week, I explained all the symbols first and then read the passage. This week, I'm going to read a bit, talk a bit, read a bit, talk a bit, read a bit, talk a bit. Is that okay? You just want me to shut up and get on with it, don't you? That's all right. Let's get there. So Revelation chapter 5, verse 1 says this. It says, Then I saw, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, so that's in God's right hand, a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And you might think, why? What's that? What's going on there? So let's just pause a minute. If I describe to you a device that you hold in your hand and you push some buttons, and then you can lift it to your ear, and you could talk to someone anywhere around the world, what would that device be? A phone. Yeah, good, a phone. And if I described that in exactly the same way 2,000 years ago, they would not come to the same conclusion. They wouldn't know what that thing is, because it just doesn't exist in their culture. It's not that it's like... It's not true or something. It's just that it doesn't exist in the culture. So they don't know what it is. And we can think that about this. Because 2,000 years ago, this was described and everyone reading this would know exactly what he's talking about. This scroll with seven seals. And uh, this, this thing, the original hearers, they would know straight away that this was a legal document. Does anyone know what this document is? That's right, Catherine. It's a will. This is a will. All the detail of a will back then in Roman times would be written on the inside of a scroll and then on the outside of the scroll, it would be like a summary statement of some of the details. And then there would be seven witnesses that sealed the scroll with their, with their ring. That's what it was. It was a will. And so right at the beginning of chapter 5, we've got John. He's, he's, in, he's like having a vision and he sees God sitting on the throne, whatever God looks like in his vision, and he's holding what John immediately recognises as a will. So you've got God on the throne holding the scroll with all the details of the, of the plans that he has for his creation, for the world, sitting there holding it. 
But what has to happen for a will to be opened or actioned? Someone has to die. Someone has to die. Let's read on. Verse 2. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. John was right at the end of all hope and he wept. And I know that there'll be people here today that feel exactly the same way. Some of you might be at the end of all hope, at the end of your tether. Maybe you you feel like in a hopeless situation. Things look dark and grim. And I'll tell you, there's hope. And uh, Revelation chapter 5, verse 4, was not the end of the Bible. Verse 5 was to come. And it says this, Then one of the elders said to me, Hey, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll in its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And so we're going to pause again. So throughout the whole of the Old Testament, we, find, we see prophecies of God saying that he will fulfill his promise to his people through the family line of Judah. It comes from Abraham, Abraham's children, it goes through Judah, goes through King David. And through that family line, uh, God will fulfill his promises by bringing a descendant who, who would save his people. And the picture throughout the whole of the Old Testament was that this person was going to come, this Messiah was going to come in military and political power. And so many Jews would think that that's how this person was going to come. And he would have this political might. And hence, we have this picture of the Lion of Judah. This picture, this, this is like the image that it comes to bear. This is the words that the passage uses. But then when Jesus came, people questioned, is he really the Messiah? Why? Because he wasn't particularly spectacular. He, he was a carpenter and he came from Nazareth. And people would ask him, does anything good come from Nazareth? They would ask this question. And uh, he then, to top it all off, rather than bringing some kind of military or political power, he ended up being crucified by the Romans and dying on a cross. He looked like a lamb that had been slain. And that's an interesting description because also throughout the whole of the Old Testament, uh, the way for people to be made right with God was for their sins to be paid by the sacrifice of a spotless, unblemished lamb who would be slain in their place. And so if someone wanted to be forgiven by God for the sins that they had committed, then they would bring an unblemished lamb to the priest and to the altar and they would kind of like lay their hands on them and all their sin would be transferred onto the lamb and that lamb would be killed. And all the, the, the spotlessness, the unblemishedness, the holiness of the lamb would be theirs and they would be judged right before God. The lamb would carry the punishment for their sins and that person would be made right. And if the sins that the people commit rack up a debt that needs to be paid, then that debt is wiped when someone else pays for it. That was kind of the imagery that was going on. And so in the Old Testament, the lamb would pay the debt and the person would have zero debt. Bank balance, zero. Nothing to pay. And um, so the question that kind of comes to my mind, I don't know if it comes to yours, well, what is it, Jesus? 
Are you the lion of Judah or are you the lamb? Which one is it? What is it? Are you the lion or the lamb? And the answer is yes, or, or both, or, or and. Jesus is, is both. And um, this, this is how the passage shows us that it's both. Um, let's just go back a few steps. It says, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed, and he is able to open the scroll and the seven seals. So Jesus is indeed descended from the line of Judah. We know that. And that's why actually many people from a Jewish background or an Islamic background will read Matthew chapter 1, which is Jesus' genealogy, and they become Christians just reading that. Sometimes they read Luke chapter 3, which also has their genealogy. And they become Christians reading that because they see, that they know that the Messiah was meant to come from this line. And when they realise it was Jesus came from this line, they think, wow, he's the Messiah. But he didn't accomplish his victory by physical or military control. But this passage does say that he triumphed. Well, how does he triumph? Well, he triumphed by being a lamb slain. And after Jesus died on the cross... I imagine that probably Satan and the Romans were throwing a party. They were probably delighted that they kind of sorted out that situation. And uh, we know that many of Jesus' disciples, they kind of, they gave up hope. Some of them went back to their day jobs. We read that Jesus uh, found some of them fishing uh, out at sea when he, when, when he rose again. And he made them breakfast on the seashore. And, um, but Jesus, he triumphed because... He was so powerful that he was able to overcome death. For Christians, we, we wear a cross around our neck, but that's because there is an empty tomb. Jesus rose again, and when he rose again, by submitting to his Father's will, by dying on the cross, he was able to win a victory which no one predicted. In that act, this pictures him as a slain lamb, one which has, this passage says, has seven horns. And, and that's, you might wonder, well, what does that mean? Well, I wonder, so it says here, uh, first of all, it says uh, the seven eyes. And uh, the seven eyes, it tells us, are, is the Holy Spirit, is the seven spirits of God. So that's the Holy Spirit in all its fullness. So it's telling us that God, uh, or Jesus, sorry, ha was clothed in the fullness of the Holy Spirit as he, as he died. He, 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 he had the presence of the Holy Spirit with him. But it also says that he had seven horns. Does anyone know what the horn represents in apocalyptic writing? Brilliant. Yes, Alan. Strength or power or authority. That's what the horn represents. And so in this picture, this is saying that this lamb, although he was slain, he has seven horns. He has full authority, full strength, full power to to complete his victory. In Jesus, we have the line of the tribe of Judah, who is descendant from David, fulfilling many of the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah. And we also have the lamb that, although he was slain, has total authority, strength and power. He did it by submission to his father, and he said, it is finished. It's not by military might. He didn't win it like that, but he did win it by submitting to his father. And then he rose again on the third day, and proving that death could not hold him. He's got seven horns, complete and utter authority, filled with the complete fullness of the Holy Spirit. I mentioned at the beginning that this prophecy doesn't just talk about the future, but it also talks about the past. And this, in this passage, we see an explanation about what happened on the cross. As uh, Jesus was clothed with power and authority and clothed in the Holy Spirit, he died. But because he then rose again, 
He proved that he was sinless. He defeated death. He was worthy of the name that's above every name. And so we sing about him. We sing, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the lion and he's the, the lamb. He's the one who can make it possible for our debt to be paid, for our sin to be wiped, for our, our bank balance to be zero before God, for us to be made righteous before him. He's the one that makes it all possible. He is seated on the throne. He has all authority. It's all been given to him. All authority on heaven and earth to go forth and to see people one for him. It's good news, isn't it? Yeah, you can, you can sort of say amen. It's good. It's all right. Um, my click is kind of not working, so maybe you can click on for me, Diane. It's kind of it's stopped. I don't know why. Um, and if you can go to just, I don't know, maybe it's frozen. It doesn't matter. Um, the New Testament sums it up like this. In Philippians 2... It says, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He was the lamb that was slain. And then it goes on, therefore... God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is the Lion. He is the Messiah in all his glory. And so as the angel asked the questions, who is worthy? Who is worthy to take the scroll and break its seals? We might ask, who is worthy to take God's will, God's plan for mankind and put it into effect? Who is humble enough to give up all the riches that they hold to be obedient to God throughout their lives and to give up their life for others? Who is worth putting your hope in for your life, for your eternity? Who is worth trusting and following and living according to their will? Who is able to save you from your sin and your shame and clothe you in righteousness and then declare you legally holy before God? Who is able to pay your debt in full and so that you have nothing to owe, setting you free? to give you purpose and significance and identity. Well, I tell you, his name is Jesus. Amen? It's good news. Is there anyone in this life worth trusting? And if there is, I tell you, he is Jesus. And that's why I love him. And I love Jesus. I love him because he's able to reveal God's will. This might work now. I don't know. Yes. He is able to reveal God's will. He's able to reveal God's salvation plan to his world. He's able to take the scroll from God's hand and put it into action because he died so that each and every one of us might live and be saved. And I also love Jesus because he cares. And I was trying to, I was chatting to Catherine, I was like, I'm trying to think of a, of a good way to sum up my second point um, because if he cares sounds a bit lame. You know, it sounds a bit mamby-pamby, I don't know. Um, but... This is the best I could do because I feel like it summarises this next section of Revelation. So we're going to go into chapter, into verse 7. Um, it goes on. He, so that's Jesus, went and took the scroll from the right hand of God, of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures, so remember that's the whole of the earthly creation, and the 24 elders, that's every person that's put their trust in God, BC and AD, fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp. And they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain 
And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. So I love Jesus because he is able to reveal God's will and God's salvation plan. I also love him because he cares. And this is amazing because if you're a Christian and you're struggling and you're at the end of your all hope like John was and you're looking around and you're thinking, is this really worth my time, my energy, my effort? Or you see and you hear things that others do and you feel like just rejecting Christianity completely, then this encouragement is don't weep, come to Jesus. Don't look at the failure of people that represent Jesus. Look at Jesus. Your leaders, they will let you down. Hey, you know, this week, I've only been here like a week, two weeks. I've already had to apologise to a member of our church because I put my foot in it all the time. And, and we all do. We, we all let you down because we're, you know, we're human and we're sinful. But Jesus is perfect. And he is for you and he loves you and praise God uh, that that member's faith is, is not in me, but it's in Jesus. And so they, they hold firm. It's okay. They can crack on. These verses show us that through Jesus' life, death and resurrection, he was able to purchase people for God from all sorts of backgrounds, from all kinds of circumstances, cultures. It talks about how from people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, no one is too far God. And it reminds me of Psalm 139 that says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I go to the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawns, even if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Amazing. There's no way you can go. Jesus cares about every tribe, every nation, every language, every person. All are included in his kingdom. And did you also spot that he gives them purpose and significance and identity? How does he do that? Well, he calls them a kingdom and priests to serve God. He gives them roles and responsibility and they reign on the earth. And Jesus doesn't just save you and then leave you to it, but he genuinely cares. Maybe you've not known about him. Or maybe you've known him once but felt distant. Maybe things have just happened in your life that have just, yeah, caused you to stay away from him a bit. But, I mean, I bet it's likely to be what other people have done, other factors. But even if it's just that you just feel distant from him or you question why things have happened, do you know he genuinely cares for you? And I know that, not because it's a nice thing to say. I know it because did you spot what verse 8 said? Verse 8 says this. It says... Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are what? The prayers of God's people. When you're devastated by something, and you, you pour your heart out to God, he doesn't think, oh, you pathetic so-and-so, pull up your boots and get on with it. No, no, no. To him, your, your prayers, your dependency on him is like a sweet fragrance. It's joy. It brings joy to him. And I think that's amazing because when we're angry, upset or mad, sometimes the thing we want to do is go away from God, stay away from him. We, we, we want to um, just be frustrated and in our pain. And, and yet here we find out that, no, when we come to him with our pain, our frustrations, our hurts, our joys and, and all the things that are good, when we come to him, he, he takes them as a sweet fragrance. They're good to him. And of course he would because that's, how, that's what happens in my family. Um, when my children are upset or angry, they don't run away. Actually, often they run to me and they want a big cuddle and they want a big hug and they want to know that everything's okay. And so they come to me, even if when it's me that's upset them because I've told them off or something, they, they want to know that there's, there's a good relationship. So they run to me and, and, and that's good for me. You know, it's a joy for me to, to have that and it's a joy to God to hear when you are. 
That's why we, we sang today, Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness is found in the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus cares about every person, every tribe, every language, every nation. And he's made a way for anyone who puts their trust in him to come to know him. And he also cares for the individuals. He cares um, for you. And he can give you comfort, hope, purpose, significance, value and identity. I love the groom, Jesus, because he reveals God's will by being the only one worthy of God. He humbled himself to save the church, and that's all of God's people. He, never, he was never giving up on them. Even to death on the cross, he went. And he has thought full of power and authority. He defeated death, and in that moment, he made it possible for anyone to put their trust in him to know that they are saved. You see, everyone has a debt before God. Everyone has this debt. This debt is there through your sin. No one is perfect. But if you put your trust in Jesus, your debt is completely paid. You are set free. There is nothing to owe. You are declared righteous before God, sinless in his sight, never to be separated from him. Jesus doesn't just leave you there, but he also cares for everyone as well. He doesn't just save you and leave you. No, he cares about your pain, your stress, your suffering, your anxiety, your joy, your triumphs, your highs and lows, all of them, and God loves to hear from you. It doesn't matter where you're from or where you've been or what's happened in your life, you can know him, and he'll never let you go. He'll never give up on you. This is why I love Jesus. And that is also why I love the church. We've been doing this series, Why I Love Jesus in Church. It's also why I love the church. Why? Because we get to tell people this good news. We get to go around and, and let people know about this person they can meet who can transform their life from darkness to light. And we get the privilege of seeing God at work through his spirit, uh, like just working in people. We get to see that over time. The purpose of the church is to reveal this to people we meet. It's not for us to judge them. It's not for us to try to make them in our own image, but to reveal them to God's image, to show them they're already made in God's image. It's not to feel superior to them, but it's to recognise that we are all the same before God. That's the forgiven people. We were all lost without him. We can't make people become a Christian, but we can give people the opportunity to hear about God. And it's why it's important for us to be visible in our community. It's why I love being here at, at the Odeon in a central location where people can find us. It's easy to find. I'm delighted that over the last two years, our church attendance has grown by about 20%. That's amazing. Our average attendance on a Sunday. Isn't that good? That's really good. Especially because the, the tide of UK church attendance is actually declining. And so we're doing remarkably well to go against the tide. And we want to continue to let people know that we're here. And we live to please and to serve God and to follow him where he leads us. And that's why at centre point, Jesus is at the centre of everything we do. That's what we're about. If you've, never been, if, you've never, if you've never put your trust in Jesus, or maybe you've been distant from him, then in a few minutes I'm going to give you that opportunity to do so, to, to, to just recommit your life to him. But before I do, I kind of just want to finish the passage because it might be that you're thinking, well, do I really... You know, when I die, do I really want to be in heaven? Maybe it's just a boring place. Maybe it's just, I'll just be on the edge, kind of looking into this party that's going on, not really involved. Well, uh, the next verse says this in verse 11. Then I looked and heard the voice. So it's not just God at the centre with a few people from church. 
I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Heaven is not a place where you'll be on the outside looking in. You know, Johnny had the, the word this morning about being a spectator, being on, on the outside spectating what's going on. No, no. Heaven is a place where you're right at the centre. You're not the weird uncle coming to the wedding who's sitting at the edge at the back of the wedding ceremony. No, no, you're right at the centre, in the middle of the party, right involved there. And uh, I just think it's amazing that as we look at this picture, you've got God there at the centre, Jesus, Son and Holy Spirit. You've then got the, the 24 elders represented, which is all of God's people, BC and AD. You've then got the four creatures, which is all of the earthly creation. And then you've got these thousands upon thousands of angels worshipping and celebrating all that Jesus has done. And then in verse 13, it says, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea. That's basically the whole universe and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures, that's all of the earthly creation said, Amen. And the elders, that's all of God's people, BC and AD, bowed down and worshipped. It's an amazing picture. I'm going to kind of say a few things again I love Jesus because he's the groom he's able to save you he's able to reveal God's will to you he cares about you he listens he will never leave you he is trustworthy he has the authority to do whatever he pleases and he and he chose to leave all the riches of heaven to come to this earth and to live a life pleasing to God going to the cross enduring the shame why because he loves you he rose from the dead when you and when you put your trust in him, you can know an eternity with God in heaven. Not because you're special, not because you're worthy of it, far from it, but because he is amazing, because he loves you. And he was worthy to take the scroll from, from God, revealing God's will for the, his, the kingdom of people that he's restoring to himself with a purpose, with identity, with significance and value, altogether worshipping him. And I love the, oops, and I love the church. We've been talking about the, the groom and the church. I love the church. Why do I love the church? Because God in his infinite wisdom has chosen to give this message to the church, to give to the world. That people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation will be there praising him. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. And then he says, so now you guys go. Go and make disciples of all nations, of every tribe, every tongue. Jesus has given his church authority to tell people and it's glorious. John's revelation is, um, is about now too. Jesus has already died and risen again and he's put into effect God's will for all of human history. And Jesus is the lion, the tribe of Judah, this promised Messiah. He's also the lamb, the one who was killed and slain for the sins of many. We're not alone on this journey. God doesn't give up on us. He's with us and he's for us. And he, he walks through this. He fights our battles for us. It means even when I feel low, even when I feel distant, actually I can know the truth is that he is with me and he will never leave me or forsake me. And knowing that, when I pray to God, it's a sweet fragrance to him. It's really easy to dismiss Christianity based on your view of other Christians, on your view of your experience of church, on your view of those big questions, on your experience of other things, but it's Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. Do you believe in him? Do you trust him?
Maybe we can get the band back up. I think that the, the only way really to respond is to sing, really, is to, to, to like the, the, you know, like that picture says, to bow down and worship. Um, but I mentioned at the beginning that I want to give people the opportunity to uh, commit their lives to Jesus, if you haven't already. And that might be for the first time, or it might be you've just been a, away from God, and I want to give you an opportunity to do that for a significant recommitment. And um, this, I'm not going to embarrass anyone, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, in a moment, so not just yet, in a moment, I'm just letting you know what's going to happen. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads and pray. And uh, when everyone's eyes are shut, I'm going to ask you, if, you, if that's you, if you're one of those people that want to make a significant commitment to God, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you, then you can just put it down once I've acknowledged you. And then what I'll do is I'll do a simple prayer, and in your heart, I'm going to encourage you to do that same prayer. And then we'll say amen. And you'll know that you've put your trust in Jesus and it'd be a great day. And then we'll all sing and we'll worship. Does that make sense? Okay. So go on then, why don't we all bow our heads? And it, it might be that you're not a Christian here and you, you have no interest. And I'll just ask out of respect for the other people in this room, why don't you bow your head as well anyway? Just, just shut your eyes. So if that's you, if today you want to put your trust in Jesus for your life, if you want to say sorry for your sin, if you want to receive his righteousness, his holiness, then why don't you raise your hand right now? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Any others? We've got about four or five. Any others? I just don't want to miss it. Okay. You can put your hand down. Hands down. Why don't you just pray in your heart with me? Dear God, I'm sorry for the sins I've committed. I admit that I've messed up, but I believe that Jesus paid the price for my sin when he died on the cross. And now, Lord Jesus, I commit my life to him. I invite Jesus to my life. I trust him as my Lord and my Saviour. Thank you, God. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please do come and visit us Sundays, 10am at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.